Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Let's talk about alcohol, weed, and other addictive substances. Pastor Andy is going to unpack what God says about these subjects. Enjoy the message. Uh, And so this week, uh, it's called Puffer Pass, all right? Uh, And we're going to talk about... uh, legalization of recreational drugs, all right? And why? Because it's staring us in the face. This is so that you can be informed on what is God's will on certain issues and how can you engage with people that are gonna have questions for you, all right? We live in an age where it's really, really hard to dialogue with people that don't agree with each other, right? People just like to start name calling or blowing each other up, you know, just like, I'm, I, I, I'm gonna unfriend you or, or whatever, you know what I mean? Or, I'm gonna cancel you, I'm gonna punish you because you don't believe the way I do, and it just, it shouldn't be that way. How did it get that way? All right, so the subject matter at hand, puff or pass, unless you've been under a rock, you've heard about the increasing legalization of marijuana or what is now being called cannabis, uh, but it seemed like an easy answer from our dare days, yeah, and I'm rocking a dare shirt, all right? I'll explain that in just a second. Um, you know, the just say no days of Nancy Reagan, it seemed really black and white. But today the issues such as drug legalization seems more complicated, murky, and gray. Well, is it really? And so we're going to talk about that today. There's a lot of competing information that's being thrown at us. Uh, there's the old saying that uh, if you tell a lie big enough and long enough, the masses will begin to adopt the lie in, as truth and implement it in their life in the everyday as follows. And so... Uh, It is the duty as a follower of Christ that we discern what is God's will on a certain subject, all right? So we're going to be in Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 18. That's going to be our anchor verse today. Also, if you're not normally a note taker, please do yourself a favor and take notes because you're going to forget most of what you hear today because there's a lot of information that we're going to go through, all right? And so and all, I mean, when you take notes, by the way, you retain way more what you listen if you don't take notes, all right? So Colossians 2.8 states this, say to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. We are to be discerning followers of Christ. What is God's way on it, not that necessarily the cultural way or what everybody else is doing. And so this morning, I want to bring forth the truth of why your sobriety matters. Uh, This isn't just a message on drunkenness bad, drugs bad. There'll be some of that. There'll be a lot of that, right? But the thing is, is I don't want you leaving this room today just talking about everything that's bad, but like, what are we actually for, right? The reason why God loves our sobriety is because he has something so much better from you than you can get in any substance in the world through the Holy Spirit. And so we want to champion sobriety this morning. And I realize it is okay not to be okay. I realize that there's people coming in here from all walks of life. And one thing I want us to just prime the pump on is this, is at the end of the message today, I'm going to ask us to get real with God wherever we're at. Whether you're deep into an addiction, whether uh, you've not told anybody about your addiction, whether you don't have an addiction per per se, but like you're just so devoid of the spirit in your life. I'm going to ask us today where we land to just be full of his spirit today. That's what we're to be full of. But I want you to begin to resolve in your heart that you're going to respond, okay? Usually we wait for this at the end, but I believe that this is one of the hardest things for us to do is we can listen to a bunch of stuff and listen to it over and over and over again. And as a pastor, the worst thing I see in myself and every one of us is that we can get a bunch of revelation but sit on it for a decade, all right? God, the power is in response to revelation, all right? Does that make sense? And so... Uh, just begin to allow the Spirit of God to, to move in your heart this morning. 
Now, how many of you went to a dare class? A dare class, right? Does anybody know what dare is? Here it is. Here's my, this isn't my graduation shirt. It's a replica facsimile of my dare graduation shirt. Um, do they do dare anymore? I don't even know. Do they do dare anymore? Yeah, no? Yeah, they do? Oh, we have some teachers in the house. Yeah, fifth grade? Okay, I was in sixth grade when I did my dare. And, uh, and so dare is you'd learn everything you'd ever want to know about drugs, all right? And then whether you're on drugs or not drugs, you graduate and get the shirt, all right? And so, uh, by the way, Allison, when she did D.A.R.E., they had a contest, a D.A.R.E. locker contest, and she won. I didn't know this about her. She's telling me this this week. I'm like, really? Pictures, please. And I bet they're hidden somewhere because she didn't give them to me. But this is what the locker says. Don't be a sucker. Say no to drugs. All right? That's Allison's winning D.A.R.E. locker. All right? (laughs) But, uh, you know... For my D.A.R.E. program, a couple years after I graduated, my D.A.R.E. officer actually was busted from stealing out of the drug locker, all right? Talk about a really bad example, all right? So, uh, now full disclosure, I have never uh, partaken of marijuana in any form, and the only time I was drunk in my life when I was three years old, I found a bottle of my dad's cologne, and I drank that thing down, all right? And so my mom found me, and I was like, hey, mom. All right, she calls poison control. She's like, What do I do? He's gonna die. He's like, No, he's just gonna sleep for three or four hours. All right, so that was my experience of being inebriated. Uh, and so, um, <laughs> I, I, I don't drink today. And, and here's a couple of reasons why number one is alcoholism runs rampant on one side of my family. Okay, and I think my mom saw that at three, hey, mom, <laughs> you know, and so starting a little early. All right, uh, but also when I was in seminary, that's grad school for pastors. Um, uh, I was in a, an addictions class. Now, I want you to know, I took a bunch of theological classes in seminary, but I took all my electives in counseling, all right? If I, went to se- if I went to school another semester, I could actually open up a practice as a counselor. Uh, and so uh, what I did was is that I, um, uh, I, I took uh, an addictions course from a professor who actually had a practice, an addictions practice, uh, and so I was in class, and he said to us aspiring pastors, hey, um, how many of you drink? And like half the room raised their hand, like, oh, yeah, we're drink or whatever. And he goes, don't. And I thought, whoa, he just drew a line in the sand. And he said, I run an addictions office, and I want you to know of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that come through my office, I want you to know one in seven people that begin drinking become alcoholics, and you are going to be standing on a platform, and if anybody ever hears that my pastor says that you do this, it's going to increase even further. Now, people can dispute what he says, but listen, he, he's, he's dealing with people with addictions every day, and I'm like, I'm going to trust him. And so that moment, I, 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 was already, I already wasn't because of my family history, but in that moment, I knew I was not going to completely. And so uh, that is my conviction, and so I personally don't drink. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, uh, but I do realize that there are Christians that love Jesus uh, who do, and there are p- Christians that love Jesus that don't. We don't have, you know, a, a survey at the door where like, like, all right, are you drinking or not drinking? Okay, we're not that type of church. And you may have grown up in a church like that, right? And that, and and you may be reacting towards that. Um, I, you know, there's, again, we there are going to be people that come at different angles uh, at that. Uh, what the Bible does say though is that we are to 100% avoid drunkenness. We are, to, we are to be sober, sober-minded, because drunkenness is a counterfeit to the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5.18, it says this, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Let me read that again. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. Now, today, there are many people, maybe even yourself included, you're like, what's the big deal about sobriety? 
Like, if I just get drunk and a little tipsy with my friends, like, what does that matter? Or, you know, like, you know, if I just, if I, you know, get drunk in my home or smoke a blunt in my home, you know, if I'm doing it in the comfort of my home, like, what's that matter? And have you heard that before people say, if I do this in the comfort of my home, what's it matter? Have you heard that, right? Have you said that? Okay, you don't have to admit it, right? But the thing is, is often in the comfort of your own home are people that are sharing the comfort of your own home, all right? And so people discount often their freedoms of the people that have to endure you while you're doing your freedom, all right? And so, and also as a youth pastor, I want to tell you the number one source where students got a hold of alcohol and drugs were who? Was it the drug deal in the corner? No. Friends at school? No. It was their parents, all right? And so uh, it, it is not necessarily uh, what's the big deal or the comfort of my own home. It's, that's, not, that's not a good excuse. It's actually a, a bad question. So what are the good questions that we should be asking? What are proper questions as followers of Christ that we should be asking? So the preliminary considerations are this. Number one is, is it legal? Is it legal? As followers of Christ, we're instructed in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, we're instructed to follow uh, the governing authorities. It says this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Followers of Christ are seen in God's eyes as exiles. This world is not your ultimate home. This is just a waiting room. Uh, we are exiles. We are sojourners. Our master is our Lord Jesus Christ himself, Right? And so the thing is, is when you uphold your national identity or any other identity above your heavenly identity, you're not living in within the identity that God wants you to have. And so we're exiles. But just because you're exiles or sojourners in this world, if you're a follower of Christ, that doesn't mean you can ignore the laws of the land. That's just simply not true. In fact, it'd be like me as an American going to Europe, Going to Europe and just saying, hey, I'm an American, so I can just do whatever I want to do. I'm going to break all the laws, right? Well, you'd go to jail, and rightfully so, because you're not respecting the laws of that land. As exiles, we're to respect the laws of the land with the exceptions of this. In the Bible, we see uh, there are exceptions to actually obeying the law, and that's if you are asked by the law to do something morally wrong, denounce Christ, or prevent you to assemble together as the church. Also, this passage does not give you right to uphold a tyrannical dictatorial government. So people that were living in Nazi Germany, they couldn't, Christians couldn't look at this and say, well, I got to obey Hitler. No, not at all. Um, that would be wrong. What happens if marijuana gets legalized in Wisconsin, as it already has five miles south of the border? All right? What happens? So what happens if you're traveling five miles south of the border and someone hands you a joint or some food laced with THC, that is the psychoactive ingredient in pot, uh, would it be permissible for you to partake because it's now legal? And Paul says, not so fast. The second question is, if it's legal, is it permissible? Is it permissible? Paul writes to the early church warning that although we are to obey the laws of the land, just because something is legal or legalized doesn't make it moral or permissible in the sight of God. The word of God must be our guide. And that's why that is our number one core value here is that we take God at his word. Uh, it is going to be the lamp to our feet. It's gonna be the supreme court of our revelation. And if someone says they hear from God and it contradicts the word of God, guess what wins? The word of God, all right? And so Paul writes to early church in Corinth. He writes this in 1 Corinthians six twelve. He says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. In the early church, 
the, pulp, the popular cultural saying was, everything's permissible. I mean, if there was no law, people, it was like a greeting. Everything's permissible. Hey, you want to go get drunk tonight? Everything's permissible. You want to go to the temple and worship some pagans? Everything's permissible. And Paul's like, no, whoa, no. It's, it's, it's like the equivalent of, you know, smoke them if you got them, right? And it's like, and Paul's like, whoa, 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 no, no. Just because it's permissible doesn't mean it's something we should as followers should be partaking in. I mean, examples for us today would be uh, drugs, pornography, and prostitution, Drugs are being legalized in some instances. Pornography has been legalized, and prostitution is legal in some parts of the country. Guess what? No matter if it's even federally legalized everywhere, we as followers should not partake in those things. And there's a number of other things as well. So what does God's word say today about the legality of alcohol, pot, and other recreational drugs? Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Again, Paul says, And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. So let's break this down. Let's break this down what this verse is saying. We have two imperatives. Imperative number one is don't get drunk with wine. All right, that's the first imperative. Imperative number two is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Two imperatives. One, don't be filled with this. The other, be filled with this. I believe, by the way, this may be one of the most controversial verses in all of Scripture. Why? Because people want to be filled with something other than God, including in the church. People want to be filled with uh, substance abuses, or they want to be filled with different things that hold them in control, and yet the response is, the remedy is, no, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of us are like, the Holy who? Oh, no, Holy Spirit, he's weird. No, I don't want to do that. That's like, no, it, it, but the, there's two commands here. Don't be filled with something that's going to make you drunk. Be filled with the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God. You are filled with something. We're filled with something. We're influenced or we're under the influence of something. And so we're going to break down two scenarios. One is positive and one is negative. So let's first talk about the negative. Number one is drunkenness leads you to the wrong spirit. Drunkenness leads you to the wrong spirit. Let's break this down again. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. Now, when Paul wrote this command, uh, the early Ephesian church would have clearly understood how controversial this verse was. They would have seen the line in the sand. And the reason being is, uh, in Ephesus, where this was written, in the center of the town was the temple uh, to Artemis. And they also worshiped a god called Dionysus. Uh, during the worship and festival of these gods, especially Dionysus, people would drink wine to excess and get massively hammered. Uh, and they would also chew ivy, which produced a hallucinogenic effect, allowing the spirit of Dionysus to, to possess a control, let me quote actually an eyewitness here, to possess and control such ones that they were united with him, partaking of his strength, his wisdom, his abilities, thus resulting in the person doing the will of the deity, deity either willfully or unwillfully. That's really interesting, because guess what? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what happens? Uh, you partake of God's strength, his wisdom, his abilities, and you're able to be used by the will of God, right? This is the antithesis of the Holy Spirit. The antithesis, the antithesis of the Holy Spirit is being drunk on something, now, early, earlier, Aristotle's wrote in uh, 300 BC, he talked about how alcohol will put spirits in the body of a drinker. Uh, in, in fact, this is where modern, in modern day, whether it be alcohol and sometimes used for other drugs, when it comes to intoxicants, people call it spirits, all right? You can blame Aristotle, all right? 
Uh, that's, that's where the word spirits came from. But literally, they believed the spirits of these gods would inhabit them. Now, today as Christians, you could object and say, well, wait a minute here. Uh, we know that uh, uh, these, these pagan gods are false gods. Paul said it himself. He said that these false gods are made out of stone, and there are, there are nothing, uh, there, these gods, there are nothing about them. And, and, and that's correct. These false gods are not real gods. There's only one true living God. However, when people were engaged in pagan worship, they weren't feeling the effects of this false god. What they were actually feeling was the effects of demonic activity. Paul warned the Corinthian church that when people were involved in this, they were joining in the activity of demons. So when we look back at our text, we are not to get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but this, actually, this is actually a principle of sobriety. You can plop wine out of there and you can put anything there. Do not get drunk with, fill in the blank, which leads, with, leads to reckless living. So you can put a number of things in there. You could put wine, you could, you, you could put uh, any sorts of drugs in there, and we are not commanded to be under the influence of anything other than the Holy Spirit. So this goes with anything, a substance, a hobby, a food. Now, this is often where the conversation derails. Uh, when my professor in college told us, hey, you should really, he actually said it a lot more sternly to us, you should really consider not drinking, uh, people began to be like, oh yeah, well, um, <clears throat> what about caffeine? What about food? And he's like, yeah, okay, you want to go there? And it was, it was, it was amazing, right? Because number one, okay, you know what? Food, we should not be under the influence of food. Some of us, we uh, overeat, we eat our emotions, or things get going. I even catch myself, like when I get nervous, I go right for the sugar. I'm like, mm, I don't even like this candy, right? And so, but I'm like, I'm, I'm eating it. The whole bag's gone. I realize, like, wow, that's, that's crazy. I just ate my emotions, right? I mean, again, some of us, it becomes a real problem. We become addicted to the food, right? And, and uh, we get different uh, chemical responses in the brain. We should not be addicted to our food, right? But the thing is, this is where the analogy breaks down, is that food is still good. We need food or you, or you die. Uh, you, you talk about pot, for instance. Uh, you don't die if you don't have pot, right? And so, yes, you're right. We should not have an excess of food, but it's like apples and oranges. The next thing I, that someone brought up in class was caffeine. And, oh, yes, here it is. Here's my, here's my coffee, all right? Fantastic, right? And so some people label it Christian crack. But what about caffeine? And the thing is, is, you're right. If we are addicted to caffeine, that's wrong. It's mastering us, right? It's mastering us, and it's wrong. But here's the deal. The reason why coffee uh, has not been labeled in the such ways of like LSD or heroin or things like that is because where other drugs detach you from reality, and that's the intent of those drugs, uh, caffeine actually, uh, well, makes you more alert, right? Still, you shouldn't, uh, still you shouldn't abuse it or you shouldn't be uh, mastered by it. Some of you think like you're going to die if you don't have it, Right? But I just remember what my, pro, my addictions prof said. He's like, hmm, that's interesting. I've never counseled anybody uh, who has domestically beat their spouse or uh, they've killed somebody on the road because they're under the influence of caffeine. He's right. And again, overindulging in food or using food as, 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 a, as, a, as a security blanket or, or being addicted to caffeine or sugar or anything, hobbies, anything that is wrong and it, and it takes us away from the intimacy of God. Absolutely right. But when we try to use other things to not talk about the thing, and we're gonna talk about pot today, it's called a deflection, all right? So let's deal with those things. But listen, these are apples. This is a really tainted orange, all right? One more thing, what about alcohol? Well, I've noticed there's, like I said, there's gray area. There's followers of Christ who drink alcohol that love Jesus, and there are those that don't. I've already stated the reasons why I don't. I think there's great wisdom in that. Uh, but uh, that is, that is what, what I have come to. And I realize that there are gonna be people here that are 
that come to different uh, conclusions on that. And guess what? That is not a, a source of fellowship, okay? Uh, we believe that there's gray area there and there's grace there. But listen, you want to know there's no gray area? Marijuana. So here's some questions. You're like, wow, really? You're going you're gonna to make a hard line on it? Yes, I am. And here's the reason why. Number one is how much is too much? I'll just answer it for you, and then we'll, uh, I'll explain my answer. Any amount. You can't consume without being intoxicated. Uh, whereas with alcohol, you're considered publicly intoxicated at 0.08%. And by the way, that's a government-mandated percent. When I, when I first started driving, it was 0.1, then they lowered it to 0.08. Some states are 0.05. What God's heart is isn't a government-mandated percent. It's, is your mind being changed? If some of you are drinking today because you want to feel differently, listen, you are self-medicating and you're not relying on the Holy Spirit, all right? So what could take a few sips to a few beers to be inebriated, how much pot does it take? Uh, for most people, uh, two milligrams, if, if you haven't built up where you need more and more tolerance, which is still in your system and that's a different issue, um, two milligrams of inhaled smoked THC, that's the psychoactive ingredient in pot, uh, it's all it takes, which means usually within one puff of today's grade is about three milligrams, which means what one person told me, one puff and you gone, all right? Today's pot is not the pot of our flower children of the 1960s, those of you that survived the 60s. Uh, today's pot has been genetically modified to increase the THC content. When people are like, it's just so natural, it's genetically modified, folks, okay? So, so with most of today's pot, you can even get a deeper high than, than even our flower children from the 60s. And if you're vaping, it's even more potent. And that's why we're seeing so many problems today with vaping, even here locally. Someone's like, okay, fine, I won't smoke it. What about the candy? Okay, let's talk about the edibles, all right? So how much does it take to get high in an edible? About five milligrams. And the thing is, it takes longer for the edibles, which means usually people are just snacking away, and then boom, they get hit hard. So it takes five milligrams uh, to, to, of ingested THC for you to get high. The gummies have about 300 milligrams of THC in a bag, and one gummy bear, as advertised on the bag, has about 60 milligrams. That is 12 times the amount it takes to get high, all right? One bear, you gone, all right? Cookie has about 300 milligrams per cookie, which means per bite, 37.5 milligrams, which is about eight times the amount needed. One bite, you gone, all right? So the thing is, you're high. The bottom line is people take pot to get, to get high, detach themselves from reality. And scripture clearly states in Ephesians that we are to abstain from that. First Peter 4, 7 says this, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. This is so huge. Prayer is just speaking to God. It is the heart of what we do. We, American Christians, Western Christians, let's have a little time out here for a second. We, we're scared of prayer. We're scared of talking to God. We're scared of talking to God amongst each other. And here's the deal, I'm not telling you that you have to all look like each other and do it like somebody else does it. But listen, it is our privilege and it is easy. Just talk to God, God, I love you. God, thank you for being over this church. Thank you that you're gonna speak to people and you're gonna move to people and you're gonna move in people's hearts. I just talk to God. That's it. And it's a privilege as a church that as God said, this should be a house of prayer because speaking to the spirit of God is prayer. And yet, when we're inebriated, our prayers are all but destroyed. Drunkenness distracts and disconnects you from hearing from God. Um, and 
before my friend Ben, many of you know my friend Ben. If you're new, you'll get to know him. He comes around uh, about November. He, he, he speaks with us about once a year. I'm trying to get him twice a year. Uh, but when I went to high school with him, we, he was in a completely different trajectory of life. He was either drunk or high every day. And in 1999, he was ready to party like it was 1999. Uh, and in a drunken stupor, uh, he was getting ready to prepare for this huge party. But underneath his bed, um, uh, he, he opened up a Bible that he found um, he didn't know where it came from, and he read 1 Peter 4, 7, and he read it. It's like, the end of things are as at hand, therefore be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Whoa, be sober. And then guess what? That night, God changed his life. And Allison and I, uh, last New Year's, were able to celebrate with him 20 years of sobriety. Isn't that amazing? 20 years of sobriety. If you would have told me that in high school, I'd be like, no, nah, he's going to be dead in 20 years. But listen, he's not dead. He's very much alive. The, the spirit of God is alive in his heart, and people are alive because God's moving in and through him. I want you to know this, church, wherever you're at today, it's okay not to be okay, but God doesn't want you to stay not okay because he wants to move through you. He wants to heal you. He wants to commission you. He wants to move through you, and he wants to lead you to where you are living in life, and you're leading in life, and people are experiencing life because God's working through you. Your current situation is not your future. And you're like, well, I'm living a pretty good life right now. Listen, your life is just the beginning if you let God keep on leading. Listen, don't get satisfied. Don't get satisfied where you're at. Don't get just like, well, this is just where I'm going to be at. God wants to move through you so much more than you could ever imagine. And yet God moved through Ben. As Christians, we need to cultivate a spirit of self-control against such intoxicating substances for the sake of being controlled by the Spirit, for the sake of our prayers. Second question is, why does being inebriated hinder our prayers? Why does uh, being inebriated hinder our prayers? Listen to uh, the wrong spirit. That is the answer. When Ben gave his life to Christ, I asked him if he wanted to go to Bible college. My personal story was changing as well. Um, uh, I was going to become a meteorologist, a TV meteorologist in the highest, 75 degrees a day with partially sunny skies and uh, winds southeast at five miles an hour. I mean, that's what I was going to do, right? And so, but God's like, nope, that's not what you're going to do. So I quit storm chasing. I quit preparing for weather. And I went to the nearest Bible college. And I asked Ben, I said, like, Ben, I'm going to go to Bible college. You want to come with me? He's like, yeah, man, that sounds cool. And so we went to Bible college. And he was rough, that Bible college, because here's the deal. We didn't know it was like one of these three-piece suit Bible college where they had like rules as thick as the Bible. And we thought everybody wanted to be there because they love Jesus. No, most of the people were there because they were forced by their parents. All right? So it was like a wake-up call for us. And so this one kid, he showed up with us. He showed up in our room. And we were just completely dumbfounded at Bible college. He was trying to explain to us why pot was okay. Like, what? And so anyway, like, when we were praying, we were having a prayer night. Ben and I opened up our, our dorm for a prayer night, and as our heads were bowed and our eyes were closed, this kid would rummage around through our walls and steal money to, you know, support his habit. Like, no kidding, right? And he said his verse was to back up his lifestyle was Genesis 129. Uh, I'll read it to you. It says, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it, they will be yours for food. So he's like, God gave us everything, man. And it's like, all right, well, I, let's reason with that for a second. Here's the problem. It's called logic and context. Uh, we'll make this interpretation borderline insane, and here's the reason why. Number one is God did give us this creation to be stewards. We should be good stewards of this earth. But he also gave the context. He gave this, this verse before the fall, right? This is before 
poisonous berries, before there were thorns on the vines when the whole earth fell because of sin, right? And so today, if you're just like, oh, I'm just going to eat any berry I want because God gave it to us all, guess what? Nice seeing you. I won't see you again because you're going to be dead, all right? Because there's a lot of poisonous berries. You can roll around a poison ivy, and you're going to itch a lot, right? All right? So like, yeah, you're going to be good stewards, but the thing is, is like, all this isn't our food, and yet people, whenever you hear they try to use the Bible to back up marijuana, this is the verse they always go to. Uh, to the contrary, these mind-altering drugs, such as marijuana, were used indeed in biblical days, but not for God, but for witchcraft. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, it's, uh, Paul was very explicit with the Galatian church, and this is what he said. He said, now the works of the flesh, notice he didn't say spirit, he said flesh. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual morality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, his list goes on, but I want to stop at that word sorcery. Because this is what is so key here. The word sorcery in the original, in the Greek, is where we, it's, it, the word is pharmakos. Literally, if you transliterate that, and we have, it's pharmacy. All right? So today, pharmacy is seen as pretty uh, positive. If you get sick, the doctor writes you a script. You go get your pharmaceutical drug or antibiotic, and you're good, right? Well, pharmakos in the Bible days was seen as almost morally wrong. Uh, not that pharmacies were wrong, but it was actually a bad word. And it was used often when people would uh, try to conjure up spirits. They would take drugs and let the spirits inhabit their bodies. And Paul says, this is sorcery. This is witchcraft. This is actually demonic. So pot, uh, as we described earlier, when we are intoxicated with anything, we actually are opening our minds up today to a, a demonic attacks and influence. You're not opening yourself up to the influence of the Holy Spirit. You are opening yourself up to demonic attacks, and this is why Paul is warning the Galatian church. So pot hinders your prayers, but also hinders you connecting with the Holy Spirit. Third question, isn't marijuana less harmful? Isn't it less harmful than other drugs? Um, well, it's marijuana, here's how I'm going to answer this question. Marijuana is harmful, and it's becoming even more harmful. Uh, this is where I take major issue with the current narrative of drug legalization. Often it goes like this. No one has ever died from marijuana. You heard that one before? Yeah? Yeah? Or um, no one has ever overdosed from marijuana. Heard that one? Yeah? Uh, no one has ever been addicted, or it reduces uh, the use of other harmful drugs. Heard that one? So let's hit all those. Um, let's just hit all those head on. The reason why, I, by the way, this one really gets me excited uh, is because, and not in a good way, is because uh, something that is burned in my mind. Uh, one day I was driving, and as I was driving, I, I drove up right fresh on an accident. An accident had just occurred. There was a pickup truck in the middle of the road, a motorcycle underneath the wheel, a body in the, in the middle of the road, and a teenager sitting on the curb. I recognized this teenager. He had been at some of our outreaches. What had happened was is that this teenager was high on marijuana while he was driving, didn't see the motorcycle driver, plowed right into them, and now he's sitting on a curb, not knowing what day it was, not, not knowing uh, uh, what time it was, and not knowing he just killed a father of three. And there was his body on the road. And whenever someone tells me he doesn't harm or kill anybody, it gets me going. Because I drive this route every single day, and there's not a day that goes by in my mind where I don't see that father of three in the middle of the road. But that doesn't work well for the arguments for those that are saying it's harmless. But this is part of a disturbing trend nationwide, that it's harming many people. 
My father-in-law for the last three decades worked in the insurance industry. He just retired after suffering a stroke. He had said and saw the real numbers in Colorado that after legalization, the traffic deaths related to marijuana have increased to 23% of every crash on a Colorado road. Almost a quarter of every death is now related to marijuana. A person in Colorado is killed every three days by someone under the influence of marijuana. According to the Rocky, How- uh, Rocky Mountain High Drug Trafficking Report, no, I didn't make that name up, uh, because THC is now being laced in foods and being uh, marketed by companies that are putting millions of dollars behind it, kids are partaking of pot at frightening rates. The rate of a child 12 and up has increased by 58% since legalization. That is 78% higher than national trends. Our kids are getting into marijuana at earlier and earlier ages. It's a lot to do with edibles now. They look just like candy. This is resulting in an increase of early onset psychosis and dementia. Joseph Garbley, the chief medical officer from the drug treatment centers of the Karen Foundation, which is a drug treatment center, uh, this is what he said, and I quote, a few years ago, it was rare to see a young person enter with a marijuana-induced psychosis. Now we see it on a regular basis. The number of emergency room visits related to marijuana has increased 54% since legalization in the states have legalized it, and hospitalizations have increased 142%. You can see it is just off the charts, quite literally. And now we've recorded by Newsweek the first death attributed to a THC overdose. And by the way, this does not take an effect for decades of recorded deaths that we have from laced weed, synthetic weed, and vaped weed. My friend Ben has done multiple funerals, people that have taken synthetic weed. Others have a reason that although they would never partake, if it is legalized, then we can get rid of black market uh, marijuana and states can fund treatment centers and schools through tax revenue. And again, wish this was the case, but it's not. The black market has not shrunk, but it's increased. The Mexican and Chinese drug cartels have moved into plain sight, buying many homes in in residential neighborhoods in Colorado, producing pot at even higher THC content, some content all the way up to 99% and at a cheaper price, sometimes half the price of the legal uh, stores. Uh, The cartels control, uh, by the way, control many and approve of legal shops. Uh, By the way, uh, the organization I speak with in Colorado called Dare to Share, they're based in Arvada, Colorado. I was just talking to a pastor who has pastor friends on the ground. Uh, Just recently in a small town in Colorado, a legal uh, weed shop owner was shot dead by a cartel that was in his territory. The cartel is operating in neighborhoods plain as day now. In fact, cartels control what legal shops are open, and they often employ people from the legal shops to run their street corners. Frontier data estimates illegal growers will produce 500,000 more pounds of illegal weed than before weed legalization, and complicating the issue is that legalization was sold to voters as a social justice imperative to stop the war on drugs in minority communities. But California officials, even Governor Gavin Newsom, are are reluctant on cracking down because the cartels, they have said, if they crack down on these open-air cartels, it will raise our arrest rates of minorities. This has been a farce. I believe that the incarceration rates that is based on racism should stop immediately. But let's talk about that issue and not pin it on another issue to legalize another issue and not do anything else about the other issue. It's a smokescreen. In fact, in Washington state alone, they've shown that uh, arrest rates with marijuana have gone down, but the the discrepancy between white and non-white arrests remain the same percentage-wise. It's being sold as a bill of goods that has nothing to do with that. How about the revenue? In Colorado, they raise about 0.9% of their budget. And according to the Centennial Institute, that's out of Colorado Christian University, for every dollar gained in tax revenue, Coloradans spent approximately $4.50 to mitigate the effects of legalization. That is a drain 
on the economy. Marijuana is not harmless, and it's been inundated with the propaganda uh, to, to us. Uh, and the problem with much of what we face today is the facts are not being tested by science. Now, if you are not a regular churchgoer, you might be like, wow, you're, 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 you're mentioning science. I'm like, yeah, I don't think science and Christianity have to be diametrically opposed, right? I think often science uh, can explain and, and unpack the beauty and complexity to God's creation. But with drug legalization, it's not been about science. It's been about very powerful lobbies, special interests, and industry. For instance, Philip Morris just invested $1 billion into the marijuana industry. We have spent the last three decades eradicating uh, the children's effects of cigarettes, and yet here we go again. And they inundate the airwaves. They put billions of dollars behind ballot initiatives until the voters are beat into submission. So it is not just safe. It's not just, you know, oh, it's gotten safer. It's to the contrary. It's not our flower children's 1960s pot. And even then, you shouldn't be smoking that either. Fourth question, can I use pot for medical purposes? The Bible is not against taking of medications or remedies to cure things. But Ephesians 5.18 would also prohibit us uh, from abusing prescription drugs. In fact, 2.1 million Americans are addicted to painkillers. One alternative uh, argument recently was that, well, if we legalize marijuana, then the dependence on opioids uh, will be reduced. But to the contrary, ABC News just recently reported in the states that they've legalized marijuana, there's been a 23% increase in the deaths caused by opioids. Also, if you were to read about what people say about marijuana, you'd think that it was a cure-all for everything. And interviewing somebody in a church and they want to remain nameless, uh, they're in Jesus now and they don't, do, they, they, don't, they don't smoke pot, but they used to. They said, they said, and I quote, I smoke truckloads of pot and I should be, by definition, the healthiest person in the world. They should be immortal. But yet, they've had numerous serious health effects. You know, I'm no medical doctor and I don't want to play one this morning. But I want you to know that this has happened before where people, in the guise of wanting something legalized, they go to something that try to make it look heroic. Uh, we have tried to make something medicinal in the past that turns out to be an absolute farce. So let's take a look at our examples. Number one is cigarettes, medicinal cigarettes. Here we are. Um, so I'm just worn out with these spasms of asthma, said the guy. So, I, so was I until I tried Dr. Blosser's medical cigarettes. The warm medicinal smoke helps loosen congestion and makes breathing easier. All right? There you go. Medicinal cigarettes. Uh, that right there, that's medicinal heroin. All right, let's go to the next one. Made by Bayer, by the way. All right. Um, cocaine, toothache drops, instantaneous cure. I bet. All right? You know, the thing is, pot today is sold in many states in smoke shops, pornographic shops, video stores, and vending machines. But yet you can't go to Walgreens to get what they're selling. It's my opinion that we should be very leery of the marijuana industry because what we've seen in uh, Colorado, as I've been uh, frequenting Colorado, if you dare to share, is you'll have a medicinal shop. It gets legalized. They pull the little medicinal sign off and they put recreational, right? Seriously? <laughs> these same companies that champion the recreation, these same companies today are setting up shop in Wisconsin and Iowa through different means. These same companies that champion the recreational use are setting up a shop across the country as medical shops, as a Trojan horse, to set up infrastructure for future recreational legalization. People talk about big pharmacy. They're a big business in this. 
If doctors or pharmacists did this, they would be jailed. To date, there have been three FDA-approved marijuana drugs available only by prescription to provide no or limited high, and ironically, it hasn't sold well. These are ones that actually a doctor can prescribe. You can go uh, to a pharmacy, and yet they have not sold well. The National Academy of Science called on for more research due to lack of definitive evidence because the science right now is not there. So what does that mean for us? You'll not hear me today to say, yes, go ahead and, and subscribe to medicinal marijuana, um, but when, you won't hear that from me today. There's just simply not enough science for me to say in good conscience for you to do that. However, with any prescription, because I realize there's 2.1 million people that are abusing prescription drugs that have been legalized and, and that you can get to a doctor. Here's the deal. When it comes to anything, number one is you need to talk to the Lord about it. Because number one, we serve a Lord that heals, all right? Okay, and so, but the Lord isn't against medicine. And so number two is we need to talk to a doctor or a trusted health official, and we need to make sure that it's legitimate. You're, we're filled with something, but drunkenness will lead you to the wrong spirit. So what should it lead us to? Number two is the Holy Spirit. You can't get enough of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Ephesians 5.18. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word be filled in Ephesians 5.18 is a continual action. It means to be supplied to the overflow. It means that we are to have the freedom, uh, even uh, commanded to be excessively under the influence of the Holy Spirit where people were uh, filled with the spirit of intoxicant in Ephesus and in places today, we can actually be filled with the one true living God, the same uh, spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, who personally empowers you and places you in the faith, seals you in the faith, gifts you to build up the church, empowers you for effective ministry, empowers you uh, to break bonds of, of hindrances in your life, and encourages you in his presence. And if when you are filled in the Holy Spirit, you have what the Bible is called the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God wants us, he commands us to be full of his Spirit. I have one more question. And that is everybody listening and every week we have people that are joining us for the first time that have never been to church and we love that. But my question is this, do you know for certain you have a relationship with Jesus? In fact, if you're standing before Jesus, would you know for certainty that he would let you in to heaven? If your answer is no or you don't know, listen, the Bible says you can know. The, the Bible makes very clear that we have fallen short. Our sin, the wrong that we've done in our life has separated us from God. You see, God didn't create us that way. He created us to have a relationship with him but our wrong has separated us from God. And the thing is, is that world religions everywhere try to make us good enough to try to appease whatever deity they worship. Well, here's the deal. There's nothing we can do to appease God because God demands perfection. And when we sin, when we did wrong, guess what? We're not perfect, right? But God, so full of love and mercy and grace, undeserved favor, came to this earth as Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God, to die in our place, to pay the punishment for our sins in our place. That the Bible says this, that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God rose him from the dead, we will be saved. All those who cry out in the name of Jesus will be saved. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins because Jesus was perfect, a perfect sacrifice. He rose from the dead. And when you place your faith and trust in him alone, guess what? 
you can know for certain you're going to heaven and you can begin to live this life knowing that your best days are indeed in front of you because God is working on your behalf. Start this amazing journey right now. Start this amazing adventure. Let's pray together and I'm gonna help you pray to God. This prayer doesn't save you. I'm just helping you communicate saying, God, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for making me. I realize I've done wrong in my life and I need you in my life. Forgive me of the sins that I've committed. Help me, Jesus, now follow you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Save me for my sins. I wanna follow you now. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.